0: We've been talking about trusting God here in the Let Go series. Last week, we talked about trusting in God's power, that uh, when we trust in God's power and not our own, he can do greater things than we can ask or imagine. Um, and this morning, I want to talk about trusting in God's promises. Have you ever known someone, have you ever had someone in your life who, who let you down? They didn't follow through on what they had promised, or maybe... Someone was consistently unreliable in your life. I think we've all been there. And when someone doesn't come through for the second or third or 20th time, how does that affect your relationship with them? Right? It erodes trust. It breaks down and the relationship becomes more distant. But thanks be to God that he is not like that. Our God keeps his promises. And one of the reasons that we can have a deep trust in God is because we have a track record throughout Scripture of God fulfilling His promises to His people. No matter how impossible it seems, God will keep His promises. But sometimes in our lives, we're faced with tough decisions. The path that we've been following with God gets more and more difficult. It seems almost impossible at some points, and we have to choose what are we going to do, you know? Are we absolutely certain that God will do what he has promised deep down? Sometimes we know it in our heads, right? Yes, I know God keeps his promises, but do we know it in our hearts? Have you been there at that crossroads before? We're going to talk in a little bit about how the people of Israel came to that point. And in those seasons of life, we need an anchor. We need something to come back to that gives us strength for the storm, right? We need something to cling to so that we can trust him through the hardest moments of our lives. And we can hold on to God's promises. And God said this. God made this claim himself through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. So God is saying through the prophet Isaiah that when he speaks something, it will come true. Just like a farmer sees the rainfall and he knows those crops are absolutely going to grow. It's going to happen. And everything that God claims will happen, will happen. And not only do God's promises come true, but while we're waiting for the fulfillment, while we're still in those tough times, they comfort us. They give us hope. They give us new life. And we can see this in Psalm 119, verses 49 and 50. Remember your promise to me. This is speaking to God. It is my only hope. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. Just like the composer of this ancient song, God's promises can comfort you in your troubles. They can revive your soul. And sometimes they may even feel like your only hope, but you can count on God's Word coming to pass. I remember I once had a difficult decision to make that would affect my family a lot. Um, we had been serving a church in western New York, and we were considering moving all the way out to Seattle for a job at a church out there. And I was just agonizing over this decision, like, am I hearing from God? Is this right? What do I do? And and um, the Lord brought to mind Joshua 1.9, which says, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And to me, during that season of life, that was my anchor. That was the promise I could hold on to. And it brought such relief to me to know that God will be with me wherever I go. If I make this choice that seems difficult, it's a big unknown, big question mark, I know that God will be with me. He will lead me and guide me, and he will be good in my life no matter where I am. And although that promise was to Joshua, you know, I claimed that for myself because um, God speaks that multiple times throughout Scripture, that, that he will be with us wherever we go. And it was just so good for me in that situation. So what does it actually look like to trust God and that he will fulfill his promises. How do we do that? How can you do that in your life? I want to give you four steps of trusting in God's promises so that you can do this. Uh, the first step is pretty obvious. Know what God has promised and what he hasn't promised. And the reason I state something so obvious is that sometimes I see people trusting in a promise that God never really made. And unfortunately, they'll probably be disappointed someday. And I don't want that to be you guys, all right? We can know what God has promised by reading the scriptures. If you're not reading the scriptures, you know, you're not going to know what God has promised to us, at least not firsthand. You know, you can believe me when I say it, but you can go straight to the book and, and read it for yourself and let God speak to you. Because his Holy Spirit speaks to us as Christians. He's alive in us. He speaks through the word and, and through the spirit. And it's so good to see God at work in our lives. When I look at the scriptures, I've noticed that God doesn't promise some things. You know, I kind of wish he would have promised, right? He doesn't promise that my favorite team will win the Super Bowl, okay? He doesn't promise that I will be rich, despite what the TV preachers might say, all right? He doesn't promise that I'll have perfect health this side of eternity, although he does heal many, many people many times. He doesn't promise that Christians will be protected from tough times, from persecution or tragedy. So what does God promise us? Since we need to know this, we need to know what God has promised us, I've provided a list in your note guide if you want to get that out. Some examples of God's promises in Scripture. These are not all of the promises from God to us in the Bible. Just some notable examples. There's one Scripture reference in there for each promise, although many of them are found multiple times in the Bible. So you can take that list home. You could put it in your Bible. You could put it on your fridge or give it to a friend. Whatever you want to do, just as a reminder of the things that God has promised to us. So take a look at that list. You you notice some amazing things. He will always love us. He is always good. He will never leave us or forsake us. He will give us eternal life. He will forgive us. He will provide what we need. He will give us wisdom when we ask. He hears and answers our prayers, and he works for the good of those who love him. If you look at this list and you really let it sink in, you just can't help but see that God is so good to us. In the story of the Bible, God made many promises to the people of Israel. And as you progress through the Bible, you see them come to pass. That's one of the awesome things about uh, reading the Old Testament before Christ, is you see God's faithfulness through Scripture and everything that led to Christ and gives meaning uh, and more of a greater picture of what Christ did for us. Back in the first book of the Bible, God made a covenant, which is like an ancient binding agreement with a man named Abraham. And all of Israel is descended from Abraham, and many of those promises that God made to him were not just for him, but also for his descendants after him. Let's read this promise to him in Genesis 17. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you, from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give you the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. So God makes this covenant with Abraham and promises him and his descendants the land of Canaan. But his grandson's family has to move to Egypt because there's a famine in Canaan. And they eventually become enslaved by the Egyptians for four years. Hundred years. And it seemed like God's promise might never be fulfilled. And then God sends ten plagues on Egypt, and Pharaoh lets them go. And then Pharaoh changes his mind and he chases down the people of Israel and traps them next to the Red Sea. So God provides a way out. He saves his people by uh, making a way through the Red Sea. He parts the waters. They walk through, and then when the Egyptians follow them, the waters come down, and Israel is saved and free. So now what? Now Israel is taking their next step towards the land that God has promised them. They know what God has promised. They're so excited that it's finally going to happen, but there's one small problem. There are people who live there, and Israel has to fight them to receive the land that God has promised. So they sent out 12 spies on a recon mission to check out the land and the military capabilities of the people that live there. And when they did, their confidence in God's promises dwindled. It started falling apart. I want to read you some of this story so that you don't make the same mistakes that they did. We're going to read a pretty large section of Numbers 13 and 14 if you want to follow along in your Bible or up on the screens. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. And then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt?" Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. So in this story, we see that when the Israelites came against this tension, they experienced this tension between God's power to do what he has promised and the obstacles between that promise and them coming true. They gave up. They gave up on the promise immediately. And they focused so much on the size of the warriors and the size of the walls that they forgot the size of their great God who had just done miracles to set them free from Egypt. They forgot how God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation and gave Abraham a son, and they were the fulfillment of a promise themselves. But they didn't remember. They focused on the promise. They focused on the obstacles, not the promise. And the second step of trusting in God's promises for us is to focus on the promise, not the obstacles. How many times do we do what the Israelites did, right? God has spoken something, but we don't see how it could possibly come to pass. So we don't base our decisions on what God has promised to us. For example, God inspired Paul to write in Romans 8.28, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. But sometimes we find ourselves in a situation that we just don't see how any good could possibly come out of this. Will we choose to believe that God is really working for our good in the midst of our darkest moments? Or will we give up hope that God is doing anything at all in our lives? I know that I, for one, I want to believe in God's promise. The Israelites, on the whole, they were just a terrible example of this. A terrible example of believing in God's promises. But there were a couple of the spies who still believed that God would give them the promised land. We heard about Caleb already, and there was another guy named Joshua. And let's read what they said in Numbers 14. Two of the men who had explored the land Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land, and if the Lord is pleased with us, He will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey, Do not rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Did you notice how Joshua and Caleb didn't say one word about how tall the giants were or how tall the city walls were? They said to their people, God has good things in store for us, and he is with us, so we don't have to be afraid. He will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. You know, when you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is with you and he has good plans for you, you don't have to live in fear like everyone else around you. You can let go and you can trust him because he will do what he has promised. But sometimes your friends won't get it right? The Israelites wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. And it can be hard to stand on God's promises when, when the people around you think you're an idiot for your belief, right? But we need to let go of our need for acceptance and trust God and obey him first. Anybody ever been there? You felt like your friends don't understand the decisions that you're making. You know, if they don't have that same level of trust in God, they're not going to get it. And that's really difficult to experience. But we have to obey God first. And good friends will stick with us, even when they don't agree with our choice. So how can we focus on God's promises? Um, Well, what do you do in your life anytime there's something that's really important that you want to focus on? Everybody's got a different approach, different style, whatever. I put reminders in my phone is how I do it. Maybe you like sticky notes. You know, write a sticky note. You put it uh, on your bathroom mirror, put it in your car, uh, put it in your living room, or you know what? Put it on the home screen of your phone, right? You'll probably see that about a thousand times a day. Do something that keeps your focus on the promise. The third step of trusting in God's promises is to remind yourself of God's fulfilled promises. We talked about this a little bit already. The Israelites did not do this. God had fulfilled several promises to them and their forefathers already, but they didn't remember this. They didn't remind themselves of God's fulfilled promises, and I don't want you all to neglect to do this either. So instead of complaining about where you are like the Israelites and how difficult, how hard things seem, remember, look back Remember what God has done in the past and see the future through that lens. God has a track record of keeping his promises and he will in the future. You know, you can look back in your life, you can see how faithful God has been to you. You can look at how God has fulfilled his promises in scripture. You can hear your friend's story, maybe in your small group, about God's faithfulness to them and how God has kept his promises to them. And that builds our faith, it builds our trust in our God and His promises, God always does what He says. Amen? Let's check out 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Paul says, For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, He always does what He says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. When Jesus walked the earth, there were still many prophecies um, from God's story with Israel that had yet to be fulfilled. If you look through the prophetic books in the Bible especially, you'll find these prophecies about someone who was coming who would save Israel and they started to call this person the Messiah. There were even other people who claimed to be the Messiah before Jesus. But Jesus was the true Messiah, and he fulfilled all of these scriptures. It's amazing to see in the Bible, like if you read the Gospel of Matthew, he is just laying out scripture after scripture after scripture to show that Christ fulfilled these Messianic prophecies. And if God can make promises to Israel over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and fulfill them all in Christ, like Paul says here, then we can trust that God will fulfill his promises to us over the course of our lives. The final step of trusting in God's promises is to take action, to live like it's definitely going to happen. In Genesis 17, when Abraham was 99, God said he would be the father of many nations, But his wife, Sarah, was barren. And they were both, I mean, they were far too old to produce a child of their own. But nevertheless, Abraham believed in God's promise. And the Apostle Paul talks about his faith in Romans 4. Paul says, "'Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations.'" For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. When we too are fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he has promised, we bring glory to God. When we stand on the promises of God without giving in to the fear or living like the rest of the world, we bring God glory and we receive those good things that he has promised for us. You know, maybe the Israelites failed at this, but you don't have to. You and I can be like Caleb and Joshua, trusting God. You know, make your choices in life. When you come to those crossroads, hang on to the promise of God. Let that be your anchor. And trust that he will fulfill his promises. What's your promise that you are going to stand on today? If you take out that note guide in the back, you look at that list of God's promises for us. Take a look at that real quick and see what stands out to you. You know, maybe you're anxious that you won't have enough resources to meet your needs. If you write down Matthew 6, 31 through 34, you can trust that God will provide for your essential needs, just as he provides for the birds and makes the flowers beautiful. Maybe you regularly give in to a certain temptation. You feel like there's just no way out. I can't conquer this. I can't escape. I have to give in. But you can stand on the promise in Scripture that God will show you a way out. Like the Bible says in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. And the next time you're faced with that choice, whether to give in or not, you can look for that way out that God will provide for you, and you can take it, because it'll be there. God always does what he says. Maybe your situation's a little different, but whatever you're going through, I want you to know today that God's promises will come to pass. He has shown himself to be trustworthy. He has fulfilled his promises to the people of Israel. He has fulfilled his promises to Christians over the past 2,000 years, and he will fulfill his promises to you. He always does what he says. So as you look at that list this morning, I want you to find one promise that relates to your life right now. Um, And if nothing sticks out to you, go ahead and look at it again later. But this morning, as we close our eyes to pray, uh, keep that in your mind. And I want you to hold out your hands in front of you, if you don't mind, this morning as we pray. And remember that promise that you just picked out. Think about your life and when you feel like you're ready to trust God's promise in this area, I want you to tell him, I trust you. And I want you to cling to that promise. Close your hands symbolically to cling to that promise for you in your life. And if you're ready to do that, you can go ahead and do that now. Get that promise in your head and put your trust in God when you're ready and then hang on to that promise with all you've got let's pray this morning Lord we come to you this morning Lord you have been so faithful to us Lord we're amazed at how you have fulfilled your promises throughout history to Abraham to the people of Israel to Christians over the centuries and you will fulfill your promises to us this morning So, Lord, right now, we hang on to your promise. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the challenges and obstacles that we face, Lord, we're not going to look at the size of the giants. We're going to look at the size of our God. Lord, we trust you that you will do what you have promised. We love you. We're so thankful for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we want to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.